Luke chapter 4, 31 to the end of the chapter. And he, this is Jesus, and he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their, in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports of him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. And when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, as we now turn our attention to the gospel of Luke and your word about the Lord Jesus here, we ask you for your help that you would come, that your spirit would enlighten our hearts that you would give us understanding of your word. Father, that you would continue to reveal the Lord Jesus to us, to see him, to know him, that we would come to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We also pray, Lord, for the brothers and sisters who have gathered this morning at Calvary Bible Church in Wayne, where Pastor Ron is this morning, uh, preaching the word to them. Lord, to give Ron wisdom, strength, and power to proclaim your word to that congregation, that they would be built up by your word this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, during my uh, first week of seminary classes uh, up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, at the North American Baptist Seminary up there, I was informed that uh, it was a, a class uh, requirement of, of mine to have to meet weekly with a pastor in order to uh, discuss ministry and uh, to then provide for me a mentor uh, as I made my way uh, through the, the uh, three years of, of seminary. And so I, I called the pastor of the Evangelical Free Church there in Sioux Falls and uh, inter introduced myself and, and asked if I could meet with him. So he just invited me to lunch, uh, I think just the following day, uh, we, we met at, at the Perkins up there, uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the Perkins up there uh, in Sioux Falls, and uh, 
uh, at that lunch, I explained uh, to him uh, my need for a pastoral mentor for my time there uh, in seminary, and he most graciously uh, agreed to do it. And so then I began uh, the next week to meet every Friday afternoon uh, with Pastor Randy, uh, where we would discuss uh, different books that he would assign for me to read um, regarding uh, the pastoral ministry. And then I would get to ask him all kinds of questions about his experience of being a pastor. And that, for me, was probably the most helpful experience that I ever had uh, in my three years of seminary. And one of the things that I learned about Pastor Randy was that he is a man who always has certain daily disciplines of things that he does in order to grow in his knowledge of God and to build up his spiritual life. Uh, he's always uh, uh, got various scripture readings, uh, reading throughout the Bible um, uh, every day, and uh, uh, also does other, other readings as well. But in one of our final meetings together, I asked him, you know, out of all of the, the daily uh, spiritual disciplines, uh, which has been the most helpful for him, particularly in, in regards to serving as a pastor? And he told me that well, what has probably been the most helpful for him is that in his daily Bible readings, he is always in one of the Gospels. He just you know, makes his way through, through Matthew and then into Mark and then through Luke and then John, and then starts back over again. He's just always uh, reading in the Gospels uh, in his daily Bible readings. And when I asked him you know, why, he, he simply explained that he always wants to keep his eyes on Jesus. He wants to, to, to know Jesus. And so reading in the Gospels helps him to see what Jesus does, how Jesus relates to people, what Jesus says, what Jesus' focus is on, and what concerns Jesus the most. And just like I was trying to learn about pastoral ministry by listening to Pastor Randy and watching him, Pastor Randy was getting his help for the ministry by listening to Jesus and keeping his eyes on him. So, brothers and sisters, that, 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 that's why I wanted us to go through the Gospel of Luke Together, I wanted us to spend time each Sunday morning fixing our eyes upon Jesus, watching him, learning from him, hearing what he has to say to us, and then hopefully growing in our understanding of what was most important to Jesus. And in our passage this morning, what we are seeing when we fix our eyes on Jesus is his authority. We see his authority revealed here his authority in his teaching, and his authority over demons, and even over sickness. As we fix our eyes on Jesus in this passage, we will also notice what his primary message was, at least what was the primary theme of his teaching and preaching, and that is found in verse 43. He said to them, I must preach the good news, or the gospel, of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So as we work our way through Luke, we will see the phrase kingdom of God 30 times, 30 more times, 31 counting this verse. And, and what we will find is, is that it has a lot to do with authority. So our, our main theme from these verses this morning is that Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom of God 
and demonstrated it through releasing captives from physical and demonic oppression. So we heard last week Jesus' quote from Isaiah 58 as well as chapter 61, um, earlier in chapter 4 here, uh, about what his mission was all about. So let's just remind ourselves of what he quoted. Go back to verse 18 and 19 of chapter 4. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then in verse 21, he told the uh, gathered crowd there, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So now in our passage, as we begin to observe Jesus' ministry, we should expect to hear that message and even see that message demonstrated. And that's exactly what we do see in our, our passage, verses 31 through 44. So as we look at this passage, one thing we're focused on first is that Jesus has supreme authority over demons, which relates to setting the captives free. See that verses 31 through 37, and then again in verse 41. Now this passage that we're looking at uh, is actually organized in what's called a chiasm. Uh, Luke begins with Jesus' teaching in the synagogue here, and then he moves uh, to have Jesus casting out a demon within that synagogue, and then you know, the camera angle, as it, as it were, kind of turns to then his healing Simon's mother-in-law of fever in Simon's house, and then Luke then shows Jesus sort of you know, going back the way that he came. That is, he goes on to heal many of, of their sicknesses, and then he casts out demons, and then finally, at the end of the passage, um, he's back to where he started. He's, he's again preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So there's a pattern there. If we, uh, if we labeled his teaching with, with an A, so his teaching in the synagogue is, is A, and then his casting out demons is, is B, and then his healing sicknesses is C, well then the pattern in the passage would go A, B, C, C, B, A. And that's called a chiasm, which uh, the, the outline of, of chiasm would resemble the Greek letter chi, which is in the shape of an X. Kind of goes down and then back out. So it's, it's, it's actually a pattern that, that's often used throughout the Old Testament. And it appears that Luke was writing in a very similar style as Old Testament scripture here. And it also helps us to understand what Luke was emphasizing for us here in this passage. Jesus' authoritative teaching works as kind of the, the brackets around which his authority is then demonstrated in casting out demons and healing sickness. What Luke wants us to see is that they are directly related. His teaching is like the gates that you walk through in the garden between the gates, and in this garden is found uh, the deliverance from demons and, and, and deliverance from disease that, of course, demonstrate his authority of his teaching. Or we could think about it this way. His, his teaching is, is, is like the walls of a house which contains his mighty works of healing and setting the captives free. These works are, are held up by his authoritative teaching. So we, we shouldn't overlook either his authoritative works or his authoritative teaching when we're focused on 
reading the Gospels. Uh, the first instance of, of, of his teaching authority is over an unclean demon in verses 33 through 35. And we are told that he was in Capernaum, which was on the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus spent a lot of time in this uh, uh, larger village, which is estimated to have a population between 600 to 1,500 residents, so it's about the size of Stanton. Uh, and it says, the people were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. And again, that's our theme. This, this authority in his teaching. And that is, you know, instead of the teaching of the rabbis, who would always be quoting other rabbis in order to show their understanding or show their authority of a given passage of Scripture. Jesus didn't have to quote any other teachers. He just taught that this is the way it is because he is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He didn't say, you know, well, so-and-so says it's this way. No, no Jesus said, I say it's this. I say this is how it is. He taught with such great authority. And then, and then he demonstrated his authority. We have his, his first showdown here with a demon who when he saw Jesus and heard Jesus teaching, he cried out with a loud voice that says, ha, or we could tr translate that as, as hey, you know, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have, have you come to destroy us? And then the, the demon says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This demon recognized Jesus as the Holy One of God. While the people in the synagogue could only see the, the human nature of Jesus, that he was this, this teacher who spoke with you know, such, such great authority, the, the, the demon could see his divine nature. He knows he's the Son of God. So now, now notice how Jesus demonstrated his authority over this demon and, and how the demon responded to him. It says Jesus rebuked him. And the word for rebuke means to, to censure. This is what someone who possesses authority does for those who are in the wrong. Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent and come out of him. Jesus just gave two commands. Be silent, which in the original language is kind of a strong Command, it's kind of a strong way to say that. It kind of resembles someone in our culture saying to someone else, you know, shut up. And Luke doesn't record the demon saying anything else. That is, he obeyed Jesus. Why? Well, because Jesus had authority over him so that when Jesus told him to be silent, he was silent. It's kind of re reminded me of, of Mr. Henningsen. Uh, Mr. Henningsen is my high school science teacher. He was also the athletic director uh, of, our, of our school and one of the more senior members of the faculty at my school. He'd have been around so long that most of our parents had had him as their teacher. And we got along with him great. We, we, we all liked him, but because we liked him so much, sometimes we could kind of get a little free in the class. And if our class ever got too far out of line, especially if it happened to be on a day when Mr. Henningsen was already a little upset about something else, well, he would... He would point his finger at whichever student was the cause of the problem, and then we could kind of see his, his veins start to pop out <laughs> of his balding head, and, and we could hear him say, hey, knock it off! And our class would quiet down immediately. We would all straighten up in our chairs, 
and no one would smile or move. Not even a wiggle. He had our attention. He, he had us. We recognized his authority over us, just like this demon recognizes the authority of Jesus. And then what do we see the demon do? Well, it says, and when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Again, the demon obeyed the Lord Jesus. Immediately, there was no bargaining here. Jesus you know, didn't have to say it twice. He didn't have to say this multiple times like I often have to do with my children. No, the, the, the demon heard the command of the Lord and he obeyed immediately. It kind of strikes you, doesn't it? Especially when you think about well, your, your own responses to the Lord's commands. When we hear the Lord give us a command in Scripture, say we're reading Scripture, we, we, we come across a command in Scripture that we know applies to, to, to us, to, to our situation. How often do we instantly obey? Or how often do we say, you know, oh, wow, hmm, I, I should pray about this. I should pray about this. Maybe for a few days, you know, just long enough so that I can conveniently forget that I read this command. In verse 41, we see a summary statement regarding more than a few times where Jesus cast out demons, and again, it was in a very similar way to what we saw before. Luke writes that the demons recognized who Jesus was, therefore recognizing his authority over them, saying, you are the Son of God, and Jesus rebuked them and would not allow them to speak. That is, he said something like, be silent, and commanded that they come out of whoever they were oppressing, and what was the response from those who witnessed these? Again, let's look at verse 36. And they were all amazed, and to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. That is, authority and power. That is, his word possessed authority and power. Demons obeyed it. And I wonder, do we listen to it? Do we submit to this word of authority and power? Then in verses 38 through 40, see that Jesus has supreme authority over bodily diseases, releasing the oppressed. So at the beginning of, of his ministry here, Luke also shows us how Jesus demonstrated his authority not just over spiritual oppressors like these demons, but, but over physical oppressors like, like sickness and diseases. The world that Jesus entered into was a world that was under great distress. It's a, it's a world that seemed to be under the influence of evil, a world where death was inevitable, but death usually came with great pain distress, and suffering, not just for the dying, but also for those who love them. That is the world the Son of God stepped into. We are shown that he was doing, or we were shown what he was doing about it. We are shown that the Savior King, the Anointed One, was turning everything on its head. As Samwise Gamgee said it, 
in the, in the Lord of the Rings, he was beginning to make all the sad things come untrue. He, he was pulling back the curtain, as it were, of our world and revealing what the new age will look like, what it will be like, what the kingdom of God really is, a kingdom where evil has no say, has no influence over God's people, where sickness and suffering and death will be no more, where God's people will be released from all that ails them in order to serve the Lord faithfully with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their strength, for sin will no longer have any power. That is what we are starting to see in this passage as Jesus goes to Simon Peter's house and hears about his mother-in-law. She was ill, ill with a high fever, and high fevers are nothing to fool around with, even in our time. But there, uh, in this time, there, there, there were no antibiotics during uh, the first century. So malaria was, was a common illness in the area uh, around the Sea of Galilee. And so it's speculated that, that Simon Peter's mother may have had a form of, of malaria. We don't really know for sure, but she had a high fever. So she was sick, that she was, she was in- incapacitated. She, 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 she could not do the things that she normally did. She's not able to be on her feet for she was most likely lying down because it says that Jesus had to stand over her. But, but notice the word that is used for how Jesus healed her. Look at that word there. It says that he rebuked the fever in verse 39. He stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. That's the same word for how Jesus freed the people from their demons by rebuking them in verses 35 and 41. Jesus spoke to the fever, and the fever obeyed. He rebuked the fever, and it left her. Jesus demonstrated that his word had authority even over sickness. He speaks, and sickness obeys. And then look at what what happens next. We see one of the purposes for the healing that Jesus does. It says, and immediately... She rose and began to serve them. Now, I, I've heard people kind of, kind of snicker at that and say things like, well, you see, <laughs> Jesus and Peter and the boys just wanted his mother-in-law to be healed so they could have some supper. You know, just, just re- reinforcing the stereotypes of women and, and mother-in-laws in particular as being the servants of the men of their house. We, we are completely missing the point if that's what we think about this. You know, remember back in verses 18 and 19. Jesus is acting out the message that he came to proclaim. Liberty to the captives. Liberty to those who are oppressed. Our world is under the oppression of sin and sickness and death. These evils keep God's people from being able to do the very thing we were created to do, which is to serve God, to serve the Lord, to use the bodies and the minds that he gave us to be able to serve him. All of us know of some of God's people who if not for sin or if not for sickness or if not for a premature death, they would still be serving the Lord here today. 
we know of brothers and sisters who, when they were stricken, we all wondered, why them? Why now? They're such faithful servants. Well, here Jesus is showing us that he had come to set free those who were oppressed so that they could serve him, so that they could do what they were created to do. And notice that she is not serving the Lord in order to win or earn the Lord's grace. Notice she has already received the Lord's grace. And so serves him because the Lord has already been gracious to her. So friends, if you have faith in Christ this morning, then you have experienced something very similar. Christ has been gracious to you. He's been gracious to you in granting you salvation from your sin and giving you eternal life. He has set you free to serve him. So are you? Are you serving the Lord with all of your heart? Are you serving the Lord with the gifts and skills the Lord has graciously given to you? Again, not to earn his favor, you know, not, not to score points with him, but out of your gratefulness for the favor that he has already shown to you. After Jesus had been served by Simon's mother-in-law, we, we are told that all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to Jesus, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. That's verse 40. Jesus was setting free all those who were oppressed by sickness, displaying for them the reign of God over the darkness, setting them free to be able to serve the Lord. And notice the compassion and kindness Jesus shows them, laying his hands on every one of them. Now, friends, just consider that. It had already been a long day, a long day of teaching and casting out a demon and then healing Simon's mother-in-law, and now it says the sun had set. It was time to lay down, time to get some rest, and the next thing he knew, all these people showed up hoping to have their spouse or their child or their grandchild healed. Jesus could have, you know, just raised his hand over them and said, be healed, all of you, and then go back to your homes so I can get some rest. He could have done that. But instead, Jesus takes the time to personally visit with each person and with great compassion and care, he lays his hand on every one of them and heals them. So friends, Jesus did not just come to show off and demand our loyalty. He has come to give himself to us. He is not a king who stands afar off, makes orders from his castle and sends out messengers to make sure that we do what he says. No, he is a king who has come down to us to look us in the eyes, to show us he knows our sufferings. So he is worthy of our grateful service. And third, Jesus was sent by God to preach the good news of the kingdom of God, giving liberty to the enslaved. This is verses 42 through 44. Uh, here, here Luke wants us to see what takes priority in the ministry of Jesus. 
uh, the people who were being uh, the people who were being healed in Capernaum, uh, or those who had witnessed the healings, came after Jesus here and wanted to it says keep him with them. Jesus could have could have practiced what so many of us would probably prefer to do. You know, he he could have just you know, set up shop in Capernaum, maybe at, at Simon's house or maybe in the in the synagogue, and he just could could have set up shop there and just waited for the people to come to him. You know, wait for them to, to come through our doors of the church in order to, to hear the good news of the gospel preached here, rather than us having to go out there and bring the message to them. But Jesus shows us that, that his priority was to go. In fact, he says, he must go. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea, it says. So, so God the Father had sent him to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, what was that good news? Well, again, if we just look, look back at verses 18 and 19, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, covering of sight to the blind, Set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Or it could also be translated grace. Liberty, freedom, release, release from the bondage of sin, release from death, release of the suffering of this world and of the oppression of the devil. That's what Jesus is proclaiming, God's grace to his people. That's the message of the kingdom. And when we hear the kingdom of God used in, in the Gospels, we, we usually think of, you know, of a kingdom like a, as, as a nation or a country or a land area. In other words, a, a place with, with distinct boundaries. And that makes it kind of hard for us to understand. I mean, how can that be preached? How can the kingdom of God be, be preached? Instead, we, we, we kind of need to think of it as the reign of God the rule of God. So if you think of it more as, as the reign of God, him ruling, it makes it more, much, much easier to understand as well as to proclaim to others. Later in Luke chapter 17, we're gonna hear Jesus say, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, like it's you know, within a land or a certain city. He, 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 he goes on to say, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. So what Jesus is talking about then is the reign of God, which is something that we must submit to if we are to be a part of the kingdom. If we are to be under God's grace. We must submit to the authority of God over our lives, over our families, over our marriages, over our business, over our bank accounts, over our futures. Here in this passage, Jesus has clearly demonstrated his authority, his sovereign authority to set free those who are oppressed. So the invitation comes in the preaching of the kingdom, will you submit to the reign of God? Will you submit to the sovereign authority of the king? Now, of course, that means we will need to reject or forsake 
the kingdom that we have been following, the kingdom of self. We'll need to forsake and reject the belief and practice of being able to, to, to earn our own way into this kingdom. We will need to repent of believing that we can have no need of submitting ourselves to anyone. We will need to, to forsake the belief that we are good enough people as we are to be accepted by God. You know, that, that we, we have done what is necessary for God to accept us, whatever we think that was. We can't enjoy the reign of God without full submission to him. And that will only come by repentance and, of course, by paying the full penalty for our sins. But that price, my friends, has already been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for our sins through a sacrifice of atonement on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. We, we put our hope for being accepted in God's sight, being, being welcomed under the reign of God, not through anything we have done, but only through what Christ has done for us. Similar to what uh, Simon's mother-in-law experienced here. We are suffering under the guilt of our sin, and Christ comes and through his, his saving work on the cross, removes the guilt from us, gives us life, so that now we can rise up and serve him. No longer under the reign of sin, but under the reign of God. And in the eternal kingdom, we'll be able to serve him forever. So friends, where is your heart at this morning? Is it under the reign of sin? Is it obeying sin's commands? Or is your heart under the reign of God? Set free to love, set free to serve, set free to follow the Lord Jesus. So brothers, let us continue to fix our eyes on Jesus and come to know him and to know his message of the kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your help now that you would continue to work through your word in our hearts, teaching us, helping us to see what we might need to do and, and believe. And Lord, I pray that we would have more and more of a desire to honor the king, to serve him. And that you would give us the strength, the wisdom, the freedom to be able to do so. In the name of Jesus, we pray.